Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hello and welcome to the British Canoeing Podcast. My name is Sid Zinfield and I'm the Performance Coach Developer within British Canoeing's World Class Programme. The World Class Programme is focused on the Olympic and Paralympic disciplines of slalom, sprint and paracanoe racing. In this series, I'll be in conversation with several of the supporting staff working within British Canoeing's world-class programmes. I'll be looking to get behind the titles to find out about their individual pathway into their current role. How did they start in their specialist field? What was their journey to working within our world-class programme? And what does their role look like on a day-to-day basis? So I hope you'll enjoy listening to this mini-series. Okay, so welcome to the latest uh, coaching podcast. And today I'm going to be joined by Jonathan Smith, better known as JJ. We get to use that name very often, do I? So, if we could start, JJ, with uh, uh, what's your role? And you know, set a bit of the scene for us. What's, what's your role? How long have you been doing it? Yeah, so um, I am a performance psychologist within the World Class Program, working with the Olympic Sprint athletes or Olympic Sprint Program, I should say, and the Paracanoe Program. I also uh, do a little bit of mentoring of the volunteers. Uh, volunteer performance sites okay. who work across slalom and um, sprint and para. There's uh, nine of them now, and I help support them, sort of coordinate their, their support of the of the coaches. Um, so I've been, well, I've been here for a while now, to be honest. So in canoeing in general, in some form or other, I probably I think I've been here now for ten plus years. Okay. Um, started off volunteering um, with a slalom talent program and I was doing about 10 days a year with them uh, at the very beginning with, with Neil Buckley then got a role 100 days a year um, with the uh, with the development squad in slalom and then eventually moved to sprint and to power canoe um, and have been with sprint for the last year power canoe for the last since 20, 2015, so six, okay. six just before, plus years. Just yeah. before the end of the Rio cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we work with them and, yeah, enjoying it. So so um, how do you become, how <laughs> does somebody become, well, first of all, let's, let's talk about what, what is the role of, a, of, of a, um, a performance psychologist? I mean, what do they do and how do you become one? I mean, what, what was your, why, why that? <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, the role, it really varies depending on the uh, organisation that you're with and what's required, but the, the, the general element of it is to use the understanding of how the mind works and apply that into a situation. Um, so that might be working directly with the athlete to help them to actually understand themselves, how their mind is influencing what they do and how they can use their mind to influence what they do differently. Okay. Um, but it could also then be working with with the coach and helping the coach understand themselves or to understand the athlete that's in front of them and how to get the best out of that athlete or how to understand how why the athlete is acting the way they are and how mm-hmm. do we make sense of that and what can we do and what strategies can we use to, to help to um, move the athlete in the direction that they want to go to achieve their, their ambitions. Or it could be working across a team and uh, getting a team to work effectively together or the final one across an organisation <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah. the culture and how psychological knowledge um, influences how why a culture is the way it is and 
um, what could be helpful in terms of within a culture to, to for one which supports people's well-being, supports people's performance, and supports people's development. So, so, so obviously that's working in quite a broad way of working with um, get getting helping people to get the best out of themselves and out of each other. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to paraphrase that too much, but so how did you come to it? Did you come for it from a psychology? from the sports part yeah so I, I came so I started um, I went to Loughborough University and studied sports science there um, really loved sports science um, didn't particularly wasn't particularly psychology is the reason why why mm-hmm. I went to do sports uh, sports science with my age sports psychology wasn't really there okay uh, hugely in terms of actually a sports psychology uh, qualification and, and program um and then, but then in first and second year, did a couple of the modules and just really enjoyed the modules. Mm-hmm. Um, and one particular module was, um, and well, one particular module of sports psychology, uh, well, who is now Professor Chris Harwood, was Dr. Chris Harwood at the time. We were looking at this area of burnout. And okay. my sister was a professional athlete, uh, she was a tennis player, um, played, played full time, had a world ranking, was couple of years younger than me, so she was uh, 17 at the time. And she had been doing the tour, traveling countries, was ranked about, I think at the time, around about 400 in the world, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, came home from one uh, one competition and basically went to, to my mum and dad going, I'm done, I've had enough. I don't, this. Don't, I don't want to chase any balls anymore. Um, and that was at the same time as I was learning about burnout. Okay. And it was, it was, a lot of it was just this link between the two of going, I'm learning about this thing and I'm seeing it directly with my sister. Mm-hmm. And that's really intriguing to me as to what was happening and, and why she was experiencing the way, experiencing things she was experiencing and what potentially led to it. Um, and, and through that, just got more and more interested in sports psychology. So I then started <clears throat> to shift my, my studies more to sports psychology. Okay. And, um, started doing more modules which were outside of the sports science course in the psychology mm-hmm. uh, degree uh, then went on to my master's in, in sports science again because there wasn't a sports psychology but pretty much I did uh, 85% of my modules were psychology based or sports psychology mm-hmm. based modules then did my PhD in sports psychology um, did a thing called BASES accreditation um, mm-hmm. which is the British Association yeah. of Sport and Exercise Science their accreditation to then be able to provide sports psychology support um, to to athletes and did a load of other qualifications along alongside that. But it was it was that starting point of my sister um, and burnout, which which really really intrigued me. And so did did you because um, often a lot of people are drawn to sport either as an athlete or as a coach initially. Yeah. So what was the draw to study sports science to start with? As a, and then you yeah. explained you got drawn towards psychology. Were you a sports person? Yeah, I love sport. Mm-hmm. I have always loved sport. Um, my, my parents, or my mum never, never really played sport. My dad played sport, never at a high level, but just loved sport. But my mum was uh, pretty insistent on us as kids mm-hmm. being involved in sport of, of whatever sort it was. So... Um, initially I, I, I played tennis um, as a kid then got into rugby and rowing were the two sports that I did and um, got to a, a pretty decent standard in rugby um, 
where I was um, a county level. Mm-hmm. Um, found out that I was too small uh, <laughs> at that age 18, um, where I was playing uh, playing back row. Yeah, yeah. Um, stop growing at some age. And well, <laughs> and uh, one of the Joe Worsley uh, is one of the people I played with who went on to play for England, who I <clears throat> went to county a, a county um, well county trials and then played played with him. But just the the size <laughs> difference, the speed difference, the skill difference yeah. made me think actually maybe I won't actually uh, really make make it in 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 the sport. Um, and, I, and then unfortunately I got injured when I was played at university. Um, and then and then the other one was rowing, which I was probably actually slightly better at rowing, mm-hmm. um, but didn't actually enjoy it quite as much. Oh okay. Um, um, it was a bit of looking at looking at another another guy's back or. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say, as, as a psychologist, have you thought about what drew you? Was the nature of the team sport, or or the the the? It's a, they're very different profile sports, aren't they? In terms of rowing, as you've said, is um, a, a repetitive action that's done under duress. You know, either with somebody else or on your own. Um, yeah, it's a head to head kind of race, isn't it? The, yeah, to... the, the 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 thing about rowing that really drew me to that one was actually. Um, how much you could push yourself, and, okay. and seeing how far you could, mm-hmm. and and in some ways how much pain you could put yourself through okay. for that extended period of time. Um, and I, I actually quite I enjoyed that element of it. Enjoyed the suffering. Yeah. Um, and the thing about rugby, um, although I'm, I'm I'm a very gent I, I come across quite a gentle lad on a rugby pitch. I really like the physicality of it. Okay. So, um, I was I was played. Back row, open side flank for for the county team. I really enjoy tackling people. Oh, okay. Love that element of it. So that sounds like there's two two different kind of aspects of, of pain that you're drawn to there, either self inflicted or inflicted yeah. on somebody else. But there we are. So um, if we if we go back to and then I suppose you 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 found your way through your master's degree and a PhD and then you said you started volunteering into sport. Is that is that the way to get into? Well, so so at the time there. Were, so this was now 15 years ago-ish where I was doing my, my started doing my PhD. There weren't that many roles in, in sort of performance psychology, sports psychology, full-time roles. And so a lot of people actually went into um, lecturing. And so that's okay. why I went into as well. And so I, I lectured at Loughborough College, did some lecturing at Loughborough University, and then went on to a place called Newman University, which is over in Birmingham. And I ran their ran their master's course, and um, which was in sports science, but I led the yeah. sports psychology elements of it. And I I love teaching, and I love helping people develop. I really really enjoyed uh, that element of it, um, and and applying this knowledge which I had into with these people who were then wanted to go out into sport. Really enjoyed that. Um, didn't enjoy the marking as much. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I loved finding out stuff. I enjoyed the research, but didn't really like the, re- uh, the writing up the research part of it. But I loved learning, loved developing. Um, and then a colleague of mine, uh, Kate Goodger, she was actually working with canoeing at the time. And um, I knew her from Loughborough College. I knew her from doing my master's at the same time. We, were, we went a slightly different different route. She, she went um, lecturing and then into actually the applied world about four or five years before me um, and and she she 
she asked whether I wanted to come across and, and support and so I got into it oh, okay. got into it that way um, and yeah that little bit about the volunteering and then doing um, getting sort of as such a bit more of a paid one and the, the second role I had was 100 days a year um, which I uh, had a very very nice boss in my lecturing who allowed me to actually yeah. do both of those at the same time uh, and was really supportive of it um, but it got to a point eventually of feeling that actually the thing that really was drawing me into into work or really motivating me was was the applied stuff actually okay. helping people so the, in the in the field to actually do what they were doing but and that's but that's basically where you ended up increasingly in more and more um I don't like to use the graded word, but uh, it, what would be perceived to be high-performance environment. So all sport has a psychological component, obviously, but you're you're now in, embedded in the world-class programs. So, so is there? Would you say there's much difference in in the applied nature at that level than you, when you were working with talent athletes? Or I mean, it, it's it's the the the, the there there isn't a difference. There isn't a difference as such in terms of um, the way I, the way I often talk about it. Is everybody, whether in, everybody's got a mind, yeah, yeah. and everybody's got a body, has got to use that mind in a way, and it influences what behaviours, what thoughts, and what feelings they have, and you can apply that to any situation. Mm-hmm. So the the great thing in terms of or the real privilege I have is that I, I work here within the high performance system. But I also work within the do some work within the NHS. Oh, okay. I do some work within businesses as well, and we are still in all those contexts. Mm-hmm. You've got this mind, and it's how do I apply that? So I might be applying the knowledge about how the mind works with a, a 16, 17 year old um, lad or girl, and what what are they experiencing, and how do they make sense of what they're experiencing, and, and work their mm-hmm. way through to wherever they want to get to, or it could be like. A, I've just come from a session with a, um, a multi-medalist yeah. and we're still applying how does the mind work? Mm-hmm. What, how does that influence you in, in your situation and how do you move so, your way through it? So what, how does, what does that look like in, um, in reality then? So how, <laughs> how do you work with somebody's mind without it being like a laying on the hands? So, so like if, if we were, let's, let's hone in on um, the world class, uh, uh, you know, somebody you're working with, you know, not an individual athlete, but uh, you know, a, a, a fictitious scenario where you're working with an athlete um, to get them to understand themselves to get their best performance. Then, so, how, what would that look like in, in on a day, uh, uh, yeah, a day to day basis or, or an annual basis or, yeah. or however you work with them? So, so in a little way, little bit, it's there's there's a lot of it which is similar to everything else. Which is let's the the first bit that we go to is. Where do we want to get to? What's that outcome look like which we're mm-hmm. trying to achieve? So that might be, actually, I want to feel really calm at the beginning of a race. Or it might be when uh, I want to have greater understanding of um, the athlete that's in front of me. I want to understand them so I can influence, impact and influence them in my coaching a little bit better. Or it could be um, they want to um, increase their commitment to what they're doing and be more consistent in their behaviours on a regular basis okay. but, but what is that outcome that we're looking for yep. looking for so once we've got that got that point it's where the second part is where are you at mm-hmm. at the moment what does it look like to you on a day-to-day day basis what, you, what does that what does that end goal look like well, well what what's the end goal look like but what does you what does it look like now oh, okay as well mm-hmm. 
And so we get we get that difference between between the two. Mm-hmm. And then we start to actually explore, okay, well, what, what are you trying at the moment? So I, mm-hmm. I very much want to go with them and say, what are you doing at the moment which you think is helping you or are you trying to see if, to help you to actually get to this bit, mm-hmm. to this end, this end point that you're aiming for? And then the, third, the next part of that is then, okay, now let's actually use the understanding about the brain, the function of the brain, the way the brain works, and there's lots of different models that yeah, we can yeah. do. The CHIMP uh, model mm-hmm. is one of them by uh, Professor Steve Peters, which is... I think is one of the most fantastic models out there uh, to help you understand uh, how the brain works. But okay, well, given the function and the way the brain works, here's possibly the reason why mm-hmm. you might be not being able to actually demonstrate that commitment, or why at times when you're before the race, the hearts are fluttering, mm-hmm. the belly's going, um, and you're even feeling a little bit weak before the, the race. Mm-hmm. Now let's help you to actually understand why you might be experiencing those things. What's actually going on in the brain that do that? So we're increasing somebody's ability to make sense of it. Okay, so we, so, so they can they understand why they're either behaving the way they're behaving in yeah. a certain, or feeling the way they're feeling yeah. in a certain situation. And then we get into okay, well, what are some of the possible strategies that work with the way the mind works mm-hmm. that will help you to actually get into the frame of mind that you want okay. to get into, if it's possible. So if somebody's saying, "I want to still feel really really calm at being in the race." and have no nerves at all, I'd actually probably say a little bit, that's pretty <laughs> unlikely that's going to be the case. And here's the reason why, because of that that yeah. just understandable element of threat that we'll experience before, before a race. Mm-hmm. By the very nature of you doing something, and it's being central of it being judged. Yeah, yeah. So it's unlikely for you to feel really calm. So, so maybe we've got a goal there, which is... Mm-hmm. An unrealistic, unrealistic ambition. But what we can do is get to the point, though, of having you feel in a place where actually I'm okay with these... This feeling, this experience that mm-hmm. I'm having, and knowing about how to manage that. So it gets you to a, to a good place and a good state to then be able to actually demonstrate the race that you want to demonstrate in, in, in yeah. that situation, whether that is um, a time trial, a selection race, or alternatively, for some of the people I work with, the Paralympic final or the Olympic yeah, yeah. final. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it, it's fascinating for me in that... If, you're, if I'm thinking about um, some of the other roles within the World Class Programme, if I'm thinking about a coach, for instance, then you can measure usually your effectiveness by looking at data and seeing that they're, they're, they're able to sustain a higher level of tolerance of, of wherever it is. Or we can look at their race times. You know, you can, you can not take complete credit for that, but you can, you can see where your uh, input has, has, has helped the athlete to do that. With your role, how, how, how would you know <laughs> if you're... Um, we'll probably know if you've been ineffective because nothing's changed. But on a data, or, or maybe not a day-to-day basis, but on a block basis, how would you know... Um, how do you monitor whether, whether, you're, whether you and the athlete are help, you're, get, you're having any effect, really. <laughs> it's, because it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky one to, to, you can't just dial up the brain and see which bits, which bits are, are now functioning differently than they were before. Yeah, so, so there's, uh, you're absolutely right in that, and uh, we're still learning about how the actual brain works and, and what is it really influencing it, but we can, we can use the data which you'd normally use, so your base okay. profile, for example, can be used to actually show whether what you're doing is having an effect okay. on it as well. It might not be as as direct an element, mm-hmm. but the indirect element of it is, is definitely the case. So 
one of the questions when we look at something like uh, race delivery, for example, I'll often ask, ask athletes, and actually I was just in a session last week with uh, some talent athletes around this, was actually how do we know um, that a performance, or what would we see if a performance is badly executed, mm-hmm. but is influenced by a mental factor? And we and we got them to ask, answer that question. Okay. And, and you'll come out with things like they change their plan. Yeah. Uh, their their technique changes. So in sprint canoeing, for example, their technique might get shorter. Mm-hmm. They're not reaching out as far. And their elbow. <laughs> yeah. Um, it might be that their focus changes, so they're focusing on somewhere else a little bit more. Often the person next to them yeah. and racing. Um, it might be that their uh, stroke rate changes, so the tactics that they use, yeah, yeah. that they've overrated at the beginning, um, that, that might happen. Or it tends that things like you might see hesitation, as in that they haven't made a decision about what to do. They've just, it's, they've yeah. not done it. They've waited to respond rather than exactly. being proactive. So all of those things are actually things that you could pretty okay. much mm-hmm. notice and see either on a race profile or alternatively, if you're videoing them, you would see those those elements to it. Mm-hmm. So, so there is actually a bigger chunk of psychology which you can see the impact. You might not actually see the change in terms of yeah, yeah. The, the, the brain patterns, but you can see the impact of that on what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that. And then the second element is just the, sub- is the subjective element of it in terms of actually subjectively, do you think, do you feel that this is better? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you're thinking better? And that's a, that's a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but so they definitely actually report that they're, exactly. they felt better able yeah. to. Or the coach reporting okay. as well. So all of those things, though, whatever that is, and you can have some objective ones, you can have some subjective ones, but both of those are are part of that outcome that we set out at the very beginning. So what does that look like if we get this right? Where, where do you want it to be? And are we seeing things that hit that hit that more? Um, if I give another example of that, yeah. that commitment element, mm-hmm. which sometimes can demonstrate for for athletes, well, we could see just markers in terms of commitment in terms of actually how. Are they their attendance and their demonstration of sessions? Are they hitting more of those than they yeah. were previously? Mm-hmm. That's a real nice marker to actually go. Yes, I'm seeing this difference, and therefore the likelihood that commitment mm-hmm. there is a little bit higher, or there could be a judgment on intensity levels within sessions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, th- so there are. So I suppose there, there's lots of indirect, uh, imp- implied responses that you, that you can that can utilize. Yeah. And then uh, I suppose um, just I'm thinking now about um, ultimately the test is when it's done uh, in the real world yeah. in the in the uh, for the objective they described, which yeah. was let's say I want to deliver in a, an Olympic or Paralympic final. So so ultimately is that because uh, one of the, the bit I'm getting at here is the support staff or the backroom staff are very rarely ever <laughs> seen anywhere uh, outside of the training environment. You know, like you, you'll see the athlete obviously competing and you often see the coach aligned or, or but, but the rest of the team. So wh- but is that where your joy comes from? Is actually seeing your work or, or the work with the athlete come to fruition? It, it, and you could be <clears throat> miles away. You could be on a different continent, <laughs> but, but, but you're, you could see that they've managed to, um, to, to take all that on board, they learn about themselves and they're able to implicate, um, execute those strategies for them. Yeah, and, but I'd say it's, what, it's wider than that. Okay. So, I would, yes, it's about the athlete and their, but 
in, in my view, that that's one part of the cog. Mm-hmm. And as you talked about, the other parts of the cog are the coach, yeah. the support staff who are also mm-hmm. around them. Uh, it, it's the team manager. It's the, the finance. Yeah, yeah. They all have their mm-hmm. individual roles to help create that and point of that performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the athlete is seen as more front and centre yeah, yeah. of mm-hmm. that. But they are, they are still only one part of it. If the coach didn't do his job, that athlete wouldn't be able to do their job. If the, if the physio doesn't do their job, then... So that that performance execution that we see an athlete de- demonstrate in a, in a race is actually made up of lots of other people's work. And so my... What, 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 what I love and what, what inspires me or... Um, motivates me is actually that joined up mm-hmm. that group of people who've got this goal that they're going to and, and it is a athlete coach support staff all on the same ambition same, same drive how how did we as a group come together to help achieve yeah. that that element mm-hmm. and that growth that those people make on on that journey and so it's going to be quite hard i suspect in your, in your career to talk about any standout Bits, but is there any ones that where, where, where you thought that everything came together and you were able to go, you know, like as a team, we really executed there? Is there any, any standout memories for you? Um, I mean, the, the simple, the, the easy ones of that would be those those big memories of uh, the Rio Paralympic Games mm-hmm. or the Tokyo Games yeah. as, as a para canoe team mm-hmm. at those two uh, events was pretty phenomenal. In, in both cases, what I would say is the team maximised mm-hmm. the opportunities that were available to them um, in both those ones. And then with the Tokyo Games, how that then led into the World Championships after yeah. that. Um, which, which was equally... <laughs> which, was, which was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal, their, um, their performance um, over there. I think... I think they are some some really nice examples of that, um, and then and then within within all of those, there's these individual stories that you could go to, of of people's journeys and how they've come through over over, okay. over time, um, whether that's a a, a Stuart Wood, mm-hmm. for example, who he, if you track his journey to then get a medal in Tokyo from where he was. Uh, back in 2014, 2013, um, to achieve that, or or a Rob Oliver who mm-hmm. unfortunately didn't medal in 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 Rio, was was so was basically disappointed about how he responded from that to then get his yeah, yeah. his medal and, and challenges right up to the last bit in terms of, in terms of being delayed going out there and all sorts yeah. of tests to his to his <clears throat> psychology there yeah and then delivering it. The, the medal with it so, medal so those elements to it and then and then also in Tokyo how the staff responded because from a from a a staff point of view uh, there were there were challenge, challenges within that um mm-hmm. within that within the build up and um loss of a staff member for for that uh, for a period of time and how the how the team responded to that mm-hmm. and and actually then as such it, the the experience for the athlete and how the staff knew their roles despite that and just cracked on and got on with it was that that element was was absolutely 
absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, really love that. Cool. I've got. I've got two two questions because I feel obliged to ask one of them. Is that 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 as often there's a reference that sports psychologists work with athletes who aren't functioning very well. Do you know the classic? Oh, you only go to the sports psych or the performance psych because 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 you can't cope with it as opposed to. Um, but what you've described to me there is it seems to be that everybody, regardless of any level of sport, whatever that if they want to be optimal for themselves, rather than stop being suboptimal <laughs> if they actually want to find even if I'm playing golf on a Sunday with my friends there's a place that I could that would benefit from having a better understanding of myself and how I how I perform I'm 100% in agreement with that mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes people talk about this psychology as, as a glue element of all the mm-hmm. other elements each each whether it's technical physical uh, tactical, they all are, are ridiculously important. And if you didn't have one of those things, mm-hmm. then it doesn't doesn't uh, get what you want to do. But for me, performance psychology isn't about dealing with, or purely about dealing with a weakness and 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 sorting out an issue of some sort. It's as much yeah. about actually how do I drive performance on. How do, I, how do I drive development on even further to maximise that as much as I can do? Or how do I drive um, well-being on? So to actually, actually, so that as I go through the ups and downs, mm-hmm. and, and, and the elite sport is tough. It's, it's very, um, very visual mm-hmm. in terms of it's, you can see things and, and there's consequences as well. Um, and, and having the psychological skills and psychological tools to manage those ups and downs is, is really, really important. And that's whether you are the, the gold medalist, yeah. uh, the Olympics or Paralympics, or if you're an athlete coming up through the system. Um, each, of those are, each, of the, each of those people can continue to develop themselves. It, it, it is a journey that, that we're on. And it does. It, it doesn't end. Yeah, and that opportunity. To uh, it, when you were talking there about over, I've, we we get to see quite regularly athletes training in the middle of winter on a Tuesday, and it's wet and miserable. The performance psychology is just as important there to to get out of the car and actually go. This this session counts as much as every other session to get me to where I want to be. Um, that that I think that what you've said there about day to day, because that would be the same as somebody who's not in a in a high performance environment. You know knowing what what this session, how it helps them to achieve what they want to achieve, whether that's improving their park run time or, yeah. whether, or whether it's, you know, qualifying for a, a squad and, and, and making a team and, and, you know, moving on that way. Or, yeah. or take it out of sport entirely yeah, yeah. and go into the business world and, <laughs> and start looking at it from a, uh, actually, how do I maximise this presentation that I've got to give? Mm-hmm. How do I get myself in a great state so that actually I, I really thrive in giving this presentation? Or I've got this project that I've got to do. How can I commit to actually working on it on a day-to-day basis rather than leaving it to the last 48 hours before, before <laughs> yeah. the deadline and doing that? Uh, or the parent mm-hmm. and actually understanding their, their 15-year-old kid and why are they being ridiculously difficult in that moment in time? And how do I understand that? Understand why they're acting that way? And, and actually, biology says that they will do because... They, they are creating and we want them to be independent as individuals and that's one of the ways that they're going to show it yeah, yeah. 
and, and is part of that that development or understanding that as a 15 year old child that that child's brain isn't fully developed mm -hmm. at that point in time so when we ask them to sit down and I've got a, I've got a 15 year old daughter doing her GCSEs at the moment getting her to sit down and do her revision on a regular basis it isn't the last thing that she wants to do mm -hmm. and that bit which helps us to actually demonstrate that discipline over a period of time it's not fully developed yeah yeah and there will be le different levels of development for different kids but with it not being fully developed, can I really expect someone who doesn't have that actual piece of that puzzle to actually... And to value it. <laughs> to value it or to be able to do it yeah, yeah. at all if I don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to use a different way to help and support them to actually sit down and regularly. <laughs> so so the very last question, because I'm, I'm pushing on your time here and we're overrunning them short, but um, you, you sounded like you came into sports, um, sport or performance psychology um, in a kind of roundabout way, there wasn't yeah. a route in there. Is there is there a more clear route now? Oh, somebody, yeah. <laughs> if, if somebody was, uh, because a lot of the time when I'm taught to people in support roles, they've, they've not come directly into them. They've almost had a journey to get to them. Is it, how how do you, how would you go about beginning sports psych psychology? Yeah. If we've got, you know, um, you know, younger university considering, and they're thinking this is an area that interests me. What's what's the route into sports? Yeah, it's definitely far clearer now. Um, on, on the route than when I, I was doing it. Um, you, ha you still have two main, two main routes. One is psychology and, and the sort of the, or sort of psychology or sports psychology and BPS accredited mm -hmm. um, courses and there's lots of those out there now um, for, for you to do it and you can go through that route um, <clears throat> and you, you do your degree, you do your masters and then you do your professional qualifications through, through the BPS or the other route is going down the, a, a, a sports science route, doing a, I'm going to say, a, 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 a crossover psychology uh, course, and then go through bases, mm -hmm. and you can get bases to get actually then um, be a qualified sports psychologist. And, um, but, and then even given all that, the most people then start by volunteering to get that yeah. practical experience, yeah. because... We all know that academic knowledge is slightly different to applied knowledge, so so there's often a volunteer route into yeah. And I, I would really encourage anybody. I mean, the two the two bits which I'd encourage people going into performance psychology to get it, or performance and sports psychology particularly. One is actually yes, the volunteering in 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 a club in a local club to support support um, support that club, um, doing that and to, the other bit of it is actually coaching, mm -hmm. and I really encourage performance psychologists to get, get into doing some level of coaching um, to understand what coaching is mm -hmm. and understand that actually work, the working from a technical element or a tactical element with a team, how do you go about doing that? Because I think that then creates your knowledge and your empathy to actually what a coach actually experiences mm -hmm. and how a coach works or actually apply these things that you talk about in, in, in theory seeing you actually de developing it within mm -hmm. a um, within a, a, a kid, a, a, an adult, um, is, is really important. And, and as you said, everybody's got a mind, so you don't have to be volunteering in elite sport. You no. can do it in any sport. Yeah. If, you, if you're thinking about understanding what motivates those people and what they want from their sport, yeah. then you don't need to be um, thinking, well, where am I going to get the foot in the door of a world-class <clears throat> programme? Yeah, 100%. And, and I, mean, I, I coach my son's under 11s rugby team um, which I absolutely love but 
I, I love it for numerous reasons, but one of the things which I've really, really enjoyed about it is actually applying psychology <laughs> within my coaching yeah. um, with, them, with them as a group. And, that's a, and that in terms of actually whether it's how, how, how do we set up the training session and, and how do we incorporate psychology within the training session? How do we build their commitment and their enjoyment and, or their ability to accept feedback, so that openness to learning mm-hmm. and setting up within there. They're doing uh, feedback to each other at the age of 10. Oh, okay, so cool. we, we spend a little bit of time at the end of each of our, our drills in group pairs, pairs to go, hey, I think you, you did this really, really well. This is a bit which you, I reckon you could do a little bit better. And that's 10-year-olds doing, yeah, yeah. doing with each other. Or how do we develop resilience in them in terms of when, when we're at a festival and they've got three games, and let's say they've lost the first game, how do we deal with that mm-hmm. to bring into to the second game? What do we, how do we set that up? What are the conversations that we'd have with them to actually get them back into that, mm-hmm. back into that second game, um, and stay as a team, um, and what we and set up the rules about as a team when we're losing and we're struggling. What, how do we behave in that place? Mm-hmm. Do we berate each other? And slam each other for missing the tackle, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Or do we do it differently? And and having that conversation with that age, because if we can do that and get that really right, then when they're yeah, just, 15, 16, do, 18... as equally or more so important than the technical skill is, yeah. is is if they can get the 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 approach, the psychological approach to training and learning and and being part of a team or or you know coping with the pressure as an individual an individual sport, then they're much more likely to to enjoy their sport, which is a paramount thing, and then secondly, probably continue in their sport a lot longer than, than if they don't. Well, well put out the actual, the actual way of looking at that. There is, to be an Olympic champion, is at the end of the day, each four-year cycle, there's only one of them. Yeah. And there are however many thousands of people out there who want to actually, mm-hmm. um, who, who are wanting that. So if our success, success factor is just that. We're going to have a huge amount of disappointed people out there. So we've got to be more than that. Yes, we want to get to that point, but but our involvement in the sport has got to be wider than that. Otherwise, we're on a losing battle yeah, yeah. in that. Uh, similar, one of the things I often think about is the Olympic champion average age is 28. So they have to still be doing it when they're 27. Yeah. And if they stop when they're seventeen, they're never doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've got to be you've got to be enjoying what you're doing yeah. all the way through that journey. Otherwise, you're never going to get to the end if that is the end that yeah. you, that you want to get to. And, if we, and we know that if we're enjoying what we're doing. That, and enjoying doesn't mean that we're not training hard. Mm-hmm. Oh no, as you said, you can enjoy training hard. Yeah, yeah. And if we're doing that, but enjoying the experience and, and the coaches and the environment is such an important element of that then we will do the right, th- we'll more often than not do the right things. Mm-hmm. We often don't do the right things when we're, when we're struggling, yeah. when we're not enjoying it. That's when we don't do the right things. So if we go with enjoying it first, mm-hmm. then the other bits will, not quite, but almost take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was, I was listening to a podcast over there and it was somebody said something like, a, a happy athlete is a fast athlete, which I thought was a really nice, catchy, <laughs> catchy little thing that, you know, you're not going to get their best performers out of them if they're not actually happy and so uh, let's be happy first which seems a perfect place to finish on a, on a happy note so uh, thanks for your time there JJ and um, yeah thanks Absolute a lot pleasure, sir. Thanks thanks for listening we hope you'll join us for the next episode remember to review rate and subscribe
Bye for now.